Mini episode 1291 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1291. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here, and I have back uh, two of my all-time favorite guys to talk baseball with, FDH Lounge dignitaries Ken Detweiler and Steve Callis. We're going to be breaking down the 2020 World Series, and a little bit of a matter to say about that going in as far as how we got here and the weirdness of this year. This has been a very, very weird year for all of us. Of course, this is going to be in the sort of coronavirus bubble in Arlington, Texas. The playoff bubbles have been in place uh, as the uh, the National League champion, of course, stays there. The Rays are coming in to uh, Arlington. If you think it's been weird for all of us dealing with 2020, think about it in the decades to come, being a sports fan in the Metroplex, and explaining this to your grandkids. It's going to be, hey, Grandpa, so the Dallas Stars were in the Stanley Cup Finals in 2020, but they didn't play any games in Dallas? That's right. Uh, and the Texas Rangers hosted the World Series, but they themselves did not play in the World Series? That's right as well. 2020 was a weird-ass year. You have to take our word for it. <laughs> so... <laughs> with with that being said, uh, we bring in our uh, dignitaries here. Ken Detweiler, for whom I was once memorably uh, the sidekick, one of two uh, ones here, along with our good friend, uh, the late Don Coster on Life's a Pitch with Ken Detweiler, back on the old Sports Talk Network. And uh, Ken, safe to say, when me, you, and Don were talking about baseball back in the day, we couldn't have imagined baseball in the year 2020 with the permutations that it's taken and the first ever World Series at a neutral site. Yeah, but I tell you, what really surprises me, and you take it to the next level, Rick, I didn't know you uh, had that extra voice in you that you were uh, <laughs> that talented to go that route. That was, that was really impressive. Thank you, so, thank you. It, it annoys my dad when I go to mocking or gimmicking voices, <laughs> but... Uh, as long as I know that it amuses people, I will keep on bringing it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, this has been an oddball. And I, being a history buff, and I have not had the opportunity yet to look up what the pandemic that happened a hundred some years ago, what they did during the World Series. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just curious. And that's, I know I'm on the topic a wee bit. No, but, uh, good point. That's where, that's where my brain goes. Is oh, you know, I can score all every once in a while. I was both you and Steve, no, and uh, we had a game here. So well, I'm excited about this World Series. That's in a weird sort of way. That's an I'm I'm excited also, and that's an excellent point, uh, Ken. And the World Series of 1918 to 1920, as, as much as I know kind of went ahead the normal way, sort of, if you will, just like the regular seasons, notwithstanding the Spanish flu, 50 million dead globally. Of course, uh, our Cleveland Indians winning the World Series for one of two times in 1920, and uh, we joked on our playoff preview about 100 years later, maybe again, but uh, we all knew deep down what the likelihood of that was. The cream rises to the top in the postseason, and when you're talking about cream rising to the top, how's that for a segue? Very, very long-standing friend of the show, FDH Lounge Dignitary. He is also the sports editor over at WestchesterCountyPost.com. Good friend, Steve Callis, of course, co-host of the Callis Remarks podcast with Joe Stazak and frequent uh, guest on Joe Stazak's show in Philadelphia, 97.5, The Fanatic. Steve, I know this is going to be a a weird uh, thing for you to talk about, as it is for us as well here, a World Series the likes of which on many levels we could have never, ever imagined. Yeah, I have to agree with that. It's just been a bizarre year at so many levels of our society, and sports being no exception. But... Um, you know, given credit they got through, I wasn't so sure early on they were even, even going to make it through the 
because, you know, they had those two big outbreaks at the beginning and they weren't in a bubble. Apparently because of the Players Association, by the way. Yes. Um, but they did get through, and here we are. And I don't think, you know, there's any asterisks, for me anyway, in any of these, you know, the Lakers winning the championship, for example. I, you know, I just don't think there's any asterisk for any of these things. The grind is the grind. I will say this, and I don't know if we're going to talk much about it, but um, just the whole notion of this extra round of playoffs, which, you know, I've heard somebody say maybe we should, you know, do this. Um, by that, I mean the, the eight teams, best of three. I mean, it's just disgusting to me. Yep. And hopefully we'll get to this with the Astros. I know we're going to kill them for what they are, but they were also 29 and 31 this year, the notion that they would, could get to the World Series uh, and went to Game 7 and almost did go to the World Series is a disgrace because, as you guys both know, I love baseball more than anything, and, and I brilliantly defended baseball for decades because you had to win something to make the playoffs. You had to win your pennant in the old, old days. Then starting in 69, you know, when the Mets won, you had to win your division. Uh, and then they instituted the wild card, and I wrote back then when the 2002 Angels won. This is like a joke. You, you don't win anything, and you win the World Series. That's what it was like to me for the Astros. Cheating aside for now, but the 29 and 31 Astros, who frankly almost made the World Series this year. Terrible to me. Well, excellent point, and I think I'll start with you, Steve, to follow up on a little bit of what you said there, because, uh, yeah, looking at the Astros, I mean, even the 73 Mets are looking at them going, gee, that was a weak regular season you had there. <laughs> <laughs> at, least over, at least they were over 500 there, I think, were 83 and 79 or something like Good that. Good memory. It was 83 and 79, I believe, and uh, yeah. But when you look at this, I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays, and then I'm just going to throw this out there and then take it whatever direction you want to take it for the AL playoffs. But when you're talking about you didn't know if we'd make it to the end of the line here with the season, I didn't either. I mean, I said all along, any sport that's not doing it in a bubble is taking more chances than they can probably bear. And baseball is about to prove me wrong after a very brutal start and, and talk that we may not make it out of the first week of the season. But I mean... The Tampa Bay Rays in the ALCS, to me, are a microcosm of the baseball season because it really, going into Game 7, it didn't look like they were going to make it through. They had all the momentum going against them, and uh, baseball makes it to the World Series in the end. The Tampa Bay Rays make it to the World Series in the end, becoming, I would say this is a dubious accomplishment here, the first team in baseball history to survive blowing a 3-0 deficit to make it to the next round of the playoffs. Yes. It could be worse. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You got a guy, I forget who it was in, he's throwing 98, 99, 100. They got three guys on the left side of the infield. Of course, Correa's a, a, a righty batter. And Correa is a little late on the pitch and hits a single like to second base that goes into the outfield because there's nobody there. Two runs come in. Correa's a hero. I want to know why they're playing a shift like that when you got a guy who throws 100. I understand what the stats say where the hitter hits. But I'd like to know what the stats are when the hitter faces guys who throw over 98, for example. And nowadays, of course, you can get any kind of stat. So that ball goes into the outfield, two-run score. Blake Snell was livid when they took him out. You could see him mouthing stuff and cursing. He was furious. Um, he wanted to get the win, right? He wanted to pitch the fifth inning. They'd be winning one nothing If he gets out, he gets the win. Instead, he walked to the bench, watches two batters, and he gets the loss. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just something wrong with that. So that's my personal pet peeve with the way the Rays do things. Of course, to defend the Rays, because they go, you know, they're analytics guys. Uh, Castillo was the guy who came in. He had pitched seven in the third innings and hadn't given it a run. He was lights out in the postseason. Except when the guy sacrificed Bunted and the next guy tingled, then he's a bum. And as you know, they went on to score four runs that inning, so, and then three the next, the game was over. So I don't know, I just find the, the confluence, if you will, of young, really good pitcher who came back this year after being terrible last year after winning the Cy Young two years ago, who pitched very well in game one and still got pulled after five innings, uh, and had to sit there and watch his game blow up in his face while he was sitting on the bench. I just don't like that. Maybe that's all time, but I just think that's wrong. No, I understand that, and again, what Houston did uh, there with Dusty Baker and the sack bunting, keep in mind the, the radical changes that came to them this year, not just uh, in, in the aftermath of having to play after the cheating scandal, but Dusty Baker, an old-time guy coming in when Houston had been one of the premier analytics regimes in baseball. There's no way A.J. Hinch calls for a sacrifice bunt in that situation, <laughs> for example. So... That is something you wouldn't have seen the last three post-seasons. Uh, you might have heard garbage cans banging, perhaps, but uh, you wouldn't have seen a sacrifice bunt. <laughs> and I, I say that as somebody who's a George Springer fan and is more loath to make fun than most people are of the things there. But yeah, how can you not make fun a little bit? But uh, when, when you look at what happened here, uh, again... The first round of the playoffs, thank God it was a bomb in the ratings because I think that's going to keep it from coming back again. That whole deal on Wednesday where it was eight games and it was like a game starting every hour on the hour, they were going for like a March Madness kind of a vibe. But that's not the way postseason baseball has always been. Postseason baseball has been... You can watch at least most of every game out there, if not all of it. Sometimes it's just most if the games are overlapping and you got to channel surf a little bit. But in baseball, that's the way it's always been. Aside from 95, the infamous example of the baseball network where everything was regional coverage and they even had the league championship series games going up against each other on network TV. That was one of the worst things ever, but... When you look at that, uh, I think we are less likely to have to deal with that uh, subsequently here. And, uh, Ken, I know that your thoughts on this in terms of the Astros going out, I know that was a huge piece of cosmic justice for you. And then looking at this here, the Rays, conversely, are a team that when you look at it, I mean, everything about them, basically, and again, this, this might not be a universally held sentiment in New York where there's a rivalry going on with the Yankees now, but... To the rest of baseball, at least, Ken, the Rays are a team that is seen as doing it the right way, and doing it the right way, if you will, has brought them to the 2020 pennant. Yeah, I'm just um, a huge fan. I guess, and this is the way it's always been in our lives. Um, you've got the teams that have all the money, and you have teams that have to be creative to win a World Series, or to get into the World Series, or to get into the playoffs with a limited budget. They just have to use, like, the analytics and so forth and so on. And going back to what Steve said, I I teach again. I'm just only at the high school level, and um, that 80 percent of any leadoff hitter that walks will score. And uh, but now they call it analytics. I just said, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> but they put a different name to it, and there you have it. So you know, again, I'm a big Snell fan. So, um, and a race fan too, in a lot of it, in a lot of ways. But I was pulling out, I was talking to my son, um, Pittsburgh, that I said, I hope, thank goodness, that the race sweep these guys. 
And uh, then I explained why, because, you know, my <laughs> my anger came out <laughs> about ruining my game and doing it that way. Uh, but, uh, and then when they started coming back, I thought, oh, no, they can't possibly do the Boston Yankees thing again. And, uh, and thank gosh they didn't. As I stayed up last night, watched the entirety and did another thing that I tell my kids, one of those fist-pumping moments in life for me uh, was watching the Rays take these guys out and put them, put them to bed and send them home, kick them in the butt and get out of here. So, <laughs> you, you know, if I, if I could, Rick, I just want to go back to that Yankee series game five a bit because I saw one of the most incredible things I've ever seen and I don't think it's ever existed in baseball before. So the final game, the Rays won 2-1 over the Yankees, as you know, and it was three solo home runs for the Bruins. And on the first home run... Remember Aaron Judge going six foot seven. Aaron Judge going back to the wall. He's become a pretty good player going back to the wall and jumping up. His rookie year he was terrible at the wall, but he improved uh, dramatically, I thought. And he went to jump up to try and catch the ball, which he had a shot for. I don't know that he would have caught it. And he hit his head on an overhang. Yeah. There was an overhang in the outfield in San Diego, and I've never seen anything like that in baseball. It makes no sense at all. I'm surprised the guy didn't get a concussion. Right. But but. I just don't understand. And then, interestingly to me, afterwards he kind of said, well, I really wasn't used to the park. Well, for one thing, it's game five. For another thing, if you go into any foreign park, you're supposed to go out if you're an outfielder. As sick as this sounds, 100 years ago when I was 11, I played in the Little League All-Star game in the Bronx where the bottom three feet of the left field wall was concrete. And the rest from three feet up to like 15 feet was like your normal park fence. Mm -hmm. And my old man, former minor league catcher for the Yankees before World War II, took me up on the field and threw me 10 balls off the concrete and 10 balls off the fence. So the notion that Aaron Judge in the biggest game of the year, having already played um, four games there, didn't realize that. Now, could he have gotten there to maybe within a foot or two of the wall, jumped up and caught that ball? Unlikely. I finally saw a close-up where the ball hit. But it really only hit about four feet past the overhang into, you know, the stands. It bounced off an overhang and didn't go into a seat. So I don't know if that was much to do about nothing, but I thought the fact that you weren't prepared to play in the field. For example, if you came from the National League and you played in Fenway Park, what would you do? You'd go throw 50 balls off the Green Monster to see how they reacted, where they hit, what were the dead spots. And the fact that in 2020 that was kind of all but ignored, was really shocking to me. The other thing I wanted to say is late in game seven, um, where the Rays were winning 4 nothing, you know, they scored, um, you know, the final was 4-2, but they put up a stat and it said, uh, only two times in the history of the postseason has any team come back from four runs down. And they put this, I'm not saying, but you guys know this, and they put the 1925 Pirates and the 2003 Yankees. So I went and looked at those games thinking, you know, it was like 7-3 in the 8th inning or something. But in both of those games, in the 1925 Pirates game uh, against the Washington Senators, they had a 4 nothing lead in the second inning. Or they were down, I'm sorry, the uh, I think the Pirates were down 4 nothing. But the team, whatever team was down, was down 4 nothing in the second. And in the Yankees-Red Sox, the Red Sox were up 4 nothing in the third and lost in 11. So when you put up a stat like that, A, I was shocked to see that stat. So nobody's really made a great late inning comeback, uh, I guess more than three runs in the history of the of the postseason, which wow. is a lot of games. Uh, wow. But, and so I immediately, you guys will know this, I immediately thought of the 1960 Yankees Pirates because the Yankees slaughtered them three games and the Pirates mm-hmm. eked out four wins. And in that game seven, which was Bill Mazeroski, 10-9, wins the World Series, which is why I think he got to the Hall of Fame, I digress. But, great field, it was a home run. But in that game, in that game, the Pirates were winning for nothing. And the Yankees came back, of course, to take the lead a couple of times, but of course, then the Pirates won, so that doesn't qualify. But it's fascinating to me that nobody's really had that big a comeback ever in the history of the World Series. Interesting. 
That that is, and by the way, not to rub salt in your wounds, uh, there, Steve, but uh, that was the same dynamic, was it not? Forty-one years later, Yankees and uh, Diamondbacks. Uh, the Diamondbacks kind of eked out the wins, and I think the Yankees kind of blew them out in some of the wins, if I remember correctly. Wasn't that the case? Yeah, yeah, that's true. But my only Maybe I got that the other way around. Maybe I'm thinking of it in reverse. But anyways, I, and, that, and that, of course, ended on a walk-off with Luis Gonzalez there as well. Uh, yeah, I think I am remembering uh, for that. The record, for the record, a walk-off blue single with the infield in. Yeah. That's an unbitter. That's yeah. an Well, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, along... Along those lines here, in talking about Tampa before we pivot to their opponent, in looking at this, it's been really opportunistic hitting that they have had a disproportionate number of their offenses come off of home runs here in the postseason, which I will say, presently as a Browns fan, it's good to have an opportunistic defense getting a lot of turnovers, but you can't count on that. What's more reliable is getting defenses that can stop teams, and with this Browns back seven, that ain't happening very much. So, you know, it, it count it, to me that's sort of the equivalent of what the Rays are doing uh, right now of getting a lot of offense off of home runs. It's great as long as you can sustain it, but this this is a thing here where when when you look at uh, the 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 major success story, the out of nowhere success story of this entire postseason. And the way that this is playing out, Randy or Rosarena, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I'm hearing a little bit of whatever Lola wants, Lola gets ringing in my head a little bit every time this guy comes to the plate. Because uh, if this guy isn't the modern-day Joe Hardy, I don't know who the hell is, but it's a thing where you get a guy who can get hot, and we've seen that a little bit this year with the sort of, not exactly in baseball bubble elements, so to speak, but we've seen it. Uh, in, in especially the NBA playoffs, and I guess Tyler Hero would probably be the closest point of comparison of a young guy just really taking major, major steps up. Uh, a Rosarena, I will say, uh, on a side note, uh, Ken, uh, pretty sure that guy isn't owned in our 20-team keeper league. Boy, is he going to go for a lot of cash next spring. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, I just, uh, speaking of our keeper league, I just traded Wendell. Ooh. Um, so that shows you what a great guy I am. Sell high, baby. Sell high. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at it, uh, you know, Steve, this is a thing where to have a guy like that stepping up to become a big-time star under these circumstances, and, and a guy who was a decently pursued, I would say, Cuban exile prospect, so not exactly coming out of nowhere, but as far as reaching this level, unlike Yasiel Puig, to whom he is often compared in, in some ways here, uh, the pedigree was not really at the same degree. It's a little bit more of a surprise. He is a disproportionately large part of their offense at this plate. They're at, at this point, they, they seem to rely more on the big three of their pitching staff. And again, opportunistic offense. We'll see how long, Steve, this can take them in a World Series. Yeah, well, Rosarina, I mean, what a story. Just at the all-time, and, and I'll put an asterisk next to this. You guys will probably agree. Uh, most home runs by a rookie in the postseason, he's got seven. But at the end of the day, he's going to play more games in the postseason than like anybody in the history of baseball. Everyone seems to forget for years the postseason was at most seven games in the World Series. And then the postseason was at most, I think, 12 games. I think originally, like Atlanta in the Mets in 69 was best of five, I believe. Yep. And so, you know, these guys, and, and this is an especially asterisk-like, not, not winning the World Series, but... Because you had that start of the three-game, you know, best of three, which I thought was a joke, and I think most of the favorites, or virtually all of the favorites, won. Obviously, the Astros won at 29 and 31. But, you know, I was just reading things at the beginning, like the Cincinnati Reds were shut out for their first two, tw the 22 innings in their two-game sweep by Atlanta, and, you know, and that's apparently some kind of record, and Cincinnati was, you know, like 31 and 29. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, who I always slaughter in the postseason, gave him a four earned in six the other day and took the loss. I say to people, he's Sandy Koufax in the regular season. People get all bent out of shape. And then I say to me, Sandy Koufax is the greatest pitcher who ever lived. But look at Kershaw's numbers. And then in the postseason, he's been horrifically bad, and everybody makes excuses for him. So he pitches eight shutout innings and 
strikes out 13 against the Brewers, who I think were either 29 and 31 or 31 and 29. And again, the notion that the Astros could come within a game of the World Series at 29 and 31, it all makes me sick. But not to take away from a Rosarina, but he now has seven home runs in the postseason, most ever by a rookie. And his numbers are incredible. He's got 21 hits, 14 runs, 11 extra base hits, 47 total bases, leads everybody in the postseason in all of those categories. And the only rookie who ever got more hits than uh, than a, uh, a Rosarina in the playoff in the postseason is Derek Jeter with 22. And that number is going to go down because the Rays are in the World Series. And finally, his 839 slugging percentage. After this, you know, seven-game victory, his 839 slugging percentage is the best in baseball postseason history with any player having at least 50 plate appearances. So again, these are video game numbers, and I take nothing away from him except the compiling part of it. <laughs> because he got to play at least two extra games. more. Two, He had a chance to play three more games than anyone, and they swept, I think it was Toronto. Um, I can't remember the first round because I thought it was a joke. It was like almost the first day of the uh, NCAA, as Rick was saying, March Madness, down eight games in one day. Um, but his numbers are incredible. The ball jumps off his bat. He's got a bright future. Uh, and I loved Yaciel Puig when he came up, but he eventually became like too nutty for himself. I don't think uh, a Rosarina is like that. No, I don't think so either, and I, I will say, too, something that I'm waiting for is uh, for one of these TikTok teens to go out there and make a novelty song about him uh, set to the tune of Rosalita, although that might be a little bit before their time. A, a song, I will say, by the way, Springsteen did not play at his 85 stadium show, not that I hold a grudge or anything. I'm not that kind of a person. <laughs> but, you know, tur turning back to a fellow denizen of America's North Coast, my friend Ken Detweiler here. Ken, your thoughts on this with Tampa Bay, with this offense, uh, the, the pitching staff, Again, we know that it's going to come tight for every series that they're in, uh, st starting with that big three that they have there, and then, uh, again, the, the famed late-inning uh, rollout of all the power arms that they have there. Uh, the big X factor for them, as always, is the offense, getting a lot of these guys to step up, and right now, Rosarina is an outsized part of that equation. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm going to throw couple things down. I'm going to go a little off topic. There's a surprise for you, too. <laughs> um, but um, what I think it's like over 70 to 80 percent of uh, the race runs in the postseason or, or during the season, I believe, um, and postseason are off home runs. Wow. So that goes back, that goes back to what you were saying earlier, Rick, uh, on that. And I was like, whoa. You know, and then there's some gamesmanship that went on. I don't know if you saw the shortstop for the Rays. Whenever there was a guy on second base, he literally would stand in front of the runner. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they couldn't pick up the signs. Yeah. Good call. The catcher was giving. Mm -hmm. And I just, I saw that. I thought I saw it last night when I was watching the game. However, they showed it on MLB uh, earlier this morning, and it was, that's exactly what he was doing. I was sitting there, he says, I'm not going to get any kind of advantage. And I was like, yeah, good for you. You guys, we all know as baseball fans, these guys will take any opportunity. And I don't count that as, I mean, well, it is cheating, I guess. But that's been around before the pots and pans and the bangs of the, you know, the, uh, the trash cans and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's. I just thought that was, that was a little bit of game and shift. I was like, yeah, I got a little smile across my face. But, you know, I don't let these guys get any advantage. Um, but I like I like the mound presence. It's, and, and you have to even say that at this level. Mm -hmm. However, however, Morton really impressed me. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was watching him intently because I do enjoy the pitching aspect of the game. And it takes him out with like 60 pitches approximately, I believe. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a little premature. However, you know, they ended up winning it, and that's what I, that's why I'm coaching baseball. <laughs> and, not, and, and not on the, the big screen here, as they say. Well, so, but uh, I, I do like their defense, too. They've got the pitching, the race, too, and they've got a superb defense. Yes, yes. Defensively 
and that's where they're way on top of it with the analytics as far as the positioning of everybody. They are all-time elite when it comes to run prevention. Morton, uh, a fairly average regular season by his standards, but in the postseason he's been everything we've come to expect from him. Snell and Glasnow also really coming strong every time they're out there pretty much. You, you come to expect that uh, from them. And turning to their opponents here... Hey, Greg, if I could just say one more thing about Charlie Morton, because I'm glad Ken brought him up, because we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about him. So the game he won, Game 7, was the fourth winner-take-all game that he's won in playoff history, and he's the first guy ever to do that. Uh, You know he won Game 7 of the World Series for the Astros, fittingly enough, a few years ago. He also beat the Yankees. He also beat the Yankees in the final game. His fourth win, which again is another asterisk for me, is he won a wild card game. Um, So when you win a wild card game, yeah, it's a winner take all game, but it's a one game almost joke to me. But Charlie Martin's won four of them and nobody else has. The other thing I'll say is the um, Tampa Bay has now won 63 stakes straight games when leading in the seventh inning. And that, of course, is what they do better than anyone with their you know, five or six or eight relievers that they feel they can bring in at any time. And for the most part, it works. Not in game six, but for the most part, it works. So you have to give them credit. Again, they've been ahead of the game going back to uh, Madden and playing the shift. They were the first team to play the shift. I remember watching the Yankee opening day like two years after they had started and David Cohn saying, well, you know, the shift is becoming a factor in baseball and the Yankees are going to start to do it. And I'm like, yeah, but Joe Madden, or my son, the Tampa Bay Rays fan, I'll add. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son called me up and said, <laughs> said well, and, and here's why. You guys will love this story quickly. So my son, when he was a little kid, he loved Tino Martinez. Well, I mean, seven, eight years old. Tino was his favorite. And you probably recall, I think it was after 2001, they let Tino go, they signed Giambi. So my son said, you know, Yankees are never going to win as long as Jason Giambi's on the team. And you know what? <laughs> the Yankees never won. He's been a Rays fan forever, so he's getting the kick out of this, especially since they, you know, beat the Yankees. He still roots for the Rays. I think Tino was there like a year or two. Yeah. But he still yeah. roots for the Rays, and he loves Joe Madden, and he's kind of the one who almost, you know, alerted me to all this stuff. But they were so far ahead of the pack, and frankly, with this kind of stuff, they still are ahead of the pack. Although other yeah. teams trying to do it. You saw the Yankees in game two try and start with an opener. And then uh, the kid pitched one inning and Jay Happ came in. And after the game, he said, yeah, I'm not comfortable doing that. Well, you should have told him that before you came into the game. You got your head kicked in. But that's what the Rays do. That's what the Rays do and do well that nobody else really does at their level. Well, and to, and to add to a little sarcasm here on my part, I think the Rays had an advantage simply because uh, that's probably pretty much what their fan base is. Just uh, yes. when they play all their games. Yes. There's a play there. Exactly. That's true. And in that dump that they play in, too. Right. But right. It, it, is, it, is, it is pearls before swine when you look at uh, them in that ballpark, them with the fans that don't come out. That really oh. is the case, no question about it. And so, turning the roof thing, whatever that is, I still don't even know what that is. That that is that is goofy uh, as all get out, no question about it. Okay, so we've gone through. We have looked at the Tampa side of the equation and looking at their opponent for this uh, Sun Belt World Series here against uh, the Braves. A very very interesting one, in as much as two Sun Belt teams. We're playing in a Sun Belt City, but it's not the Sun Belt City of either one of these two teams, and all seven games are going to be played there, up to seven games. That would, of course, be Houston. So the Atlanta Braves, who, much like the Tampa Bay Rays, got off to a commanding early lead in their series, 2-0, as opposed to Tampa going 3-0, but looked like they were going to gag it away, and uh, really, uh, it seemed like, missed some of their best shots to put this thing away, they were underdogs going into Game 7, but one way or another, they found a way, they survived. I thought we were going to get a Dodgers-Braves National League Championship Series before the season last year. This is something I've been waiting on a little bit here, and uh, the Braves have really lived up to it here at this point, and I say this as somebody who has been to, it was I think it was the first year the park opened in 2017 down there in Atlanta. This is a team they should be able to keep together because... This is the sort of model of economics for the rest of baseball 
that uh, you look at the Cubs ownership, how they have jealously looked over their shoulder at the neighborhood of Wrigleyville all these decades. The Braves have built their own Wrigleyville. So basically, if they're not willing to keep this thing together, if Liberty Media and all the, all the bigwigs owning this team here uh, can't keep this together and keep adding to it, then it's completely on them. But it's an amazing young core. And I would say, I'll turn to you first here, uh, Steve. One of the things that makes it uh, a little bit more difficult for me, I think, to pick them in any type of a, a series where they're going to be facing great pitching is that unlike the Braves teams we remember from World Series past where, yes, they always had good offenses, but it was predominated by that starting pitching, they have uh, good starting pitching here. Uh, again, they've, they've had to suffer through some injuries, which have hurt the depth of it a little bit here. Uh, but this lineup that they have is what is truly outstanding. When you look at the guys that they have in there, when you look at, uh, the, the, you know, Acuna, who is uh, just one of the signature, uh, not even just young players in baseball, but signature players in baseball, uh, at this point, and Ozzy Albies, even if he took something of a step back this year, Freddie Freeman, who has long been uh, just an amazing, amazing uh, player and, and always seemingly underrated until very recently, uh, the investment that they had in Ozuna to go out and get him. Uh, to me, the, the story of this Braves team, they have good enough pitching and they have really excellent depth in their bullpen, but the story to me is just how much they can kill the baseball. Well, I think you're right, though. I'll go back to before the season started. I actually picked the Braves to make it to the World Series before beating the Dodgers and, and the uh, and you were right. NLCS. And, you you called it. It was kind of based on the fact that they had Soroka as yes. a one and Max Fried as a two. And Soroka, of course, tore his Achilles. I mean, this is where we are in baseball, to me anyway. The guy comes off the mound to cover first, and he tears his Achilles. Right. I mean, it just, and, and after that, I have no problem saying I was kind of doubting the Braves, but they played great. Max Fried, who was their number two, became a stud starter, 7-0, and undefeated, you know, didn't get his first loss of the year until this playoff series against the Dodgers, frankly. Right. Um, but I thought with that one-two punch coupled with, as you've already talked about, their lineup, um, I thought they could make it to the World Series, and lo and behold, they have, Rick. So... Uh, when you go down that lineup, look, Acuna has not been Acuna uh, to me. Right. He's a he's a superstar, and I will say this though: at the beginning of the season, where I watched the Braves a lot just to get a sense of what they were, because I picked them, he was horrific. Right. I mean, I think he struck out like ten times in his first five games or something. Right. And you know, maybe I know I understand today the year. You know, strikeouts don't matter. You can strike out 150 times in the year. Nobody cares. When I was a kid in the major leagues in the you know 60s into the 70s, it was like embarrassing. And then guys like Reggie Jackson. I know if you go back to the 20s, Babe Ruth struck out all the time, but he was God. Uh, but most people were slapping go guys. Uh, going way back to the dead ball era. It was like an embarrassment to strike out. That's long left the building in the major leagues. But Acuna, you know, he can carry a team. Freddie Freeman is an MVP candidate. He's been great. Nick Markakis, interestingly, as you guys probably know, he opted out because of COVID. Yep. Watched about 10 or 12 games, I think, and then came back. Yeah. <laughs> now, he is not yeah. great either, but to have a guy like that, Dandy Swanson has finally played like a number one pick. He's been good. And all the other guys you mentioned, and the one guy you didn't mention that I'll mention, another Met cast-off, Travis Darno, yeah. has been incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Mets just let him go. So, you're right, they do have six or seven guys in that lineup, uh, and they certainly pose a danger uh, in the World Series, as they have done in all the playoffs. But mine was based, because I thought Sirocco, Free, uh, Freed were... Maybe the, arguably the best one-two combination. Certainly the best one-two that nobody knew about. Because Soroka was a stud last year. Sure. And Freed was a stud this year. You know, that lefty with that gigantic curveball that really doesn't exist for a lot of pitchers anymore. Uh, but give them credit. You know, they made it all the way. And uh, as you guys talked about before, those other Braves, you know, they were dominant for like 13, 14, 15 years. But they only won one World Series. 
And so these Braves, I think you're right, Greg, they're set up to be contenders for the next few years to come. They really, really are. And it's interesting because they had a great farm system in the early 2010s. And I remember we, we do this uh, every four years, uh, the February 29th time capsule on the show, making predictions for the next four years. And I remember, I think 2012, I picked them as a team that would win two World Series in the next four years because I thought they would take the next steps and augment their farm system. And instead, they tore it down and flipped those guys for more prospects. So this has been sort of a delayed kind of a run that they've been on. Yeah. And uh, Travis Donaud, uh, that's a thing where... I will say this, uh, Russ Cohen, uh, a big Mets fan, uh, fellow FDH Lounge dignitary, I have said to him for a long time now that he was capable of this kind of stuff. He never believed it. I, it got to where I would be just kind of ragging on him uh, because he was so down on him uh, about it, but he has finally proved that right. And also, when you're looking at this, uh, and again, sort of another bit of the epitome of power but not a whole lot of consistency behind it, uh, but uh, 16 home runs with a 301 OBP, Adam Duvall in the outfield. So as far as a guy who can put it over the fence when he does connect, you've got that as well, another name that we didn't even mention. Uh, and, and a guy that I'll even say, again, who could be a difference maker in this series, even though he's uh, he has taken a step back from last season, Ozzie Albies, who showed last year he's capable of being a franchise player for the Braves, uh, and again, him and Acuna, look, maybe they're going to step up at just the right time, I don't know, but this is another team, I know, Ken, in talking to you, that as much as you love player development and the way that things come together and watching young talent sprout and grow in a situation, I'm sure that this is a Braves team that you admire just as you do the Rays. Yeah, they're doing it right, they're absolutely doing it right, and it's, it is fun to watch the development of these kids. Uh, the talent that's coming through with these kids also. And it's just, uh, you know, going back to what Steve said about the Travis Darnell, one of the things that I love about the playoffs so far, we've talked about the, some of the downsides, uh, is a guy like Travis Darnell has always been, going back to Bill Mazowski, even, a guy that you're not thinking is going to be any kind of a, yeah, okay, he's a nice player, he plays, he does this, he contributes. But to see a person like Darno step up, it always happens. It seems like it always happens. It's not, and you can't yep. guess. It's like, it's yep. like whack-a-mole. It's like whack-a-mole. And then all of a sudden, the star rises. You know, Bucky Dent, all this stuff. And uh, on and on and on in playoff history. Um, I also love the fact that we play day games. Um, it reminds me, Steve and Rick, of back in the day when, you know, You'd have your little transistor radio for some of us uh, uh, yeah. in the classroom or try to get <laughs> intentional flu and go home early. But uh, no, I like. I think the Braves are really going to be a handful in, the, in this series. And, uh, and there's a little bit of a history there now, you know, both being from the National League. So there's uh, there's Equipment Farm too. So, but uh, no, I think... Uh, I think this is really going to be fun. I'm, I'm curious to see what viewership during the pandemic is going to shake out. Yeah, like this, and this, this is this is the big stage now. Yeah, and uh, a Braves Rays World Series is something I'm sure that is terrifying the folks at Fox. What's kind of funny about this yeah. is that uh, for the second year in a row, under this new I think five year right. contract that uh, the WWE has with Fox. SmackDown is being preempted to FS1 on Friday night for the World Series. The challenge will be if they can keep up the number of what SmackDown generally puts up on a Friday night when they're in there, because the ratings have been dreadful this postseason, and we'll have to see yeah. uh, how much it affects it uh, in that way. But this is one of these things where... You know, Steve, this is going to be a World Series for, again, and I think it would have been the case also, too, with, with Rays Dodgers. But if you love baseball, if you're a purist, if you love watching, and particularly emerging young talent, and I would say that being the case even more so with the Braves than with the Dodgers, because I think with the Dodgers, you're looking more so at guys who are already in their prime. With the Braves, yep. it's still guys on the way up, even like Acuna, who took a little bit of a step back this year. Albies, who I will mention ad nauseum. That the Braves are still getting better. The Rays, in some ways, 
some of the guys in their lineup in particular are still getting better. And it's it's really going to be an awesome kind of spectacle, I think, to watch in that way as far as watching these teams here. And Steve, this is one of these things where the mainstream might poop on it, but I don't think any real fan of baseball is going to. Yeah, you know, it's such an interesting thing because of the all the delays, because of the pandemic. And you guys know I love baseball more than anything. Hardest game to play, hardest game to coach, hardest game to be good at. And I think that makes a lot of youth of the last 20 years, frankly, kind of give up early. Game of failure, you know the famous statement about baseball, game of failure. And I think they move on to other things. The other mistake, as uh, Ken was alluding to, is the World Series has always started late at night. Uh, and I understand you got to get the uh, web coke people to see it. And that would make sense if the Dodgers... Uh, you know, had, had somehow beaten the Braves, but they didn't. So this is an East Coast World Series, but I think you lost a lot of things. Whenever you think of football, and I love football too, uh, they always start the Super Bowl at 6.15 on Sunday night. Now, you can't do that in baseball because it's not just one game. Uh, having said all of that, in the past three months, you know, for baseball, uh, it frankly took a backseat at times for me trying to cover the four major sports Hockey, I know, I love hockey, it's not baseball to me, but hockey, the playoffs in the Stanley Cup Finals, the NBA, of course, which is now the second big gorilla in the room after the NFL, they had the playoffs that just ended with LeBron winning a championship, and also football, the 800-pound gorilla, even if it's, uh, you know, Sunday's regular season games, and that's what baseball was up against, they kind of have a little bit of a monopoly now, and I'm just hoping they don't have, like, Tuesday night football like they did last week. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, they got Thursday night football and Sunday night football, and a lot of the country, including down in Atlanta, uh, is a college football world, which certainly is not really that big where I am. But uh, I would throw this out to you guys, and maybe we save this for another conversation, but... Um, I thought the seven inning, I've said jokingly for years, and both of you guys know this, if you want baseball to be the way it was, make it a seven inning game. You would yeah. have pitchers going deep into the game, oh, he's coming out for the sixth inning, oh, he's a seven game, complete game. And this happened with the double headers this year, and I watched a bunch of those games. And, you know, it almost, again, looking at young people, looking at everybody's trying to make everything shorter, looking at the way Tony La Russa and then the Red Sox-Yankees four-hour nine-inning games to some degree have ruined baseball. I understand analytics. I understand relief pitchers. They're trying to do it with that three-pounder per pitcher, which certainly to me didn't seem to speed up the game that much um, because the nine-inning games were still for forever, in my opinion. Um, but maybe that's for another time. I think with respect to the Braves, Rick, you're right, these young studs, but they also have the Freddie Freemans of the world. I know Marquecas isn't Marquecas this year. I wonder if it's because he waited. He didn't have any training camp at all. I don't know. But Freeman's an MVP candidate, but you're right. Between Acuna and Albies, these two guys, if they can keep them there, are going to be stars for at least the next, you know, 10 years. And the other guys you mentioned also who have really, Danby Swanson, finally, I think he was a number one pick in the draft and has always yes. been I didn't achieve enough. Yes. And now he's like, he's, I won't say he's a star, but he's getting there. So I think you're right about the youth of the Braves and their future. Uh, but I looked at it more in the last two months as more of a referendum on baseball as being long and tedious. And I'll say it again, I'm a baseball guy forever and love it more than any other sport. Well, and when you look at this, too, and I would be remiss if I didn't homer for a guy from my long-term keeper league, Austin Riley, uh, as well here, when you're talking about young power bats for the Braves. Yeah, yeah. i got I to slide that in uh, as I pat myself on the back. And again, Ozuna, yeah, Ozuna's another MVP candidate as well, which ironically, yeah. him and Freeman might uh, cannibalize each other in the, in the uh, votes a little bit. But, uh, Ken, going back to what you had said previously here, uh, when you were joking about uh, you know, maybe uh, faking getting a virus and coming home from school. You are hearkening back to an earlier, more innocent day in this country when we could joke about such things. And I refer, of course, to the time period of February 2020 and before. But uh, when we look at uh, this World Series here, I think this is a thing where I know that uh, Steve and I have both sort of touched upon this, and I would have a hard time seeing you disagree that this matchup here, regardless of whether it's one that the mainstream takes to, this is one that baseball fans are going to love. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I think, yes, 
for uh, several reasons, I think. Uh, both teams don't have a, a ton of experienced all-stars or right. anything like that, or a team that's loaded. They're both on the upswing. They both are going to be around the way they're just made uh, for quite some time, as I see it. I mean, they're going to be, they're going to be in the conversation. There's the pox I just put on both. Possible, like, yeah. Uh, it, you know, boy, and that's that's interesting because you're you're talking about obviously only the Braves have had experience here. Uh, so if there's an advantage, it would go to them. What do you say, Steve? You know, it's a fascinating question, but as far as I know, no fans in the stands, correct? Uh, about no eleven or twelve thousand, just like the NLCS. Yeah. Yeah, eleven or twelve thousand, like they did in the NLCS. Right. And that would yeah. never, that'll never, ever, ever, ever happen in the history. 
history of baseball ever again. Uh, but just to give you a sense of how it changed, and uh, I was even watching the other day, uh, I think it was in the Tampa game, they took a pitcher out because he was going to face a guy for the second time or something. And, you know, it's just so totally changed. And look, the analytics are right. I'm not saying they're wrong, but it's led to getting back to seven inning games to have Ben Wilder and Steve Callis say they'd be okay with seven inning games, then people are going to say, yeah, you guys aren't really baseball purists. <laughs> and, I, and I would just like to become more popular again, frankly. Uh, and I think, frankly, I've also said on one separate digression again, um, if you want to, if you want to lessen every baseball game in the world by 20 minutes, just take out one minute of commercials between each half inning. And of course, they're never going to do that because that's taking money out of the owners' pockets. Just like they'll never have double headers again unless they're day-night separate paid admissions. Right. When I was a kid, I'm sure you guys were the same. We always went on Sundays to watch double headers at Yankee Stadium because. We got two for the price of one, and I wrote about that for years, and now I realize that the Yankees and Red Sox played a doubleheader, it would be nine hours. Well, and yeah. I'm not saying for that, so yeah. no. um, I, I think it's, it's it, I don't know if there's going to be talk about that after this season, but it is interesting, although you would wreck the record book. You, you would. You definitely would. And looking at this yeah. matchup that we have here, uh, again, we've talked about emerging young talent. I see some commonalities as far as the 2016 and 2017 World Series, as far as young talent uh, getting spotlighted on the big stage for the first time. Ultimately, in the end, it's a uh, much like the 2016 World Series, if we're going to be talking Braves, it sort of reminds me of a very painful World Series memory to me, not as much as 97, but 95, where it was the Indians that had the more dominant lineup, uh, it's sort of big red machine point two, 2.0 as people were comparing it to the mid-70s Reds, uh, but it was the pitching that ended up uh, prevailing in the World Series. And in such a thing here with the, with the Rays having, I think, the consensus edge in pitching, it is October, cliches being what they are about pitching over hitting. I'll say Rays in six over the Braves. I say the Braves get a taste of their own medicine 25 years later as far as the uh, the pitching shutting them down. It doesn't happen to my satisfaction since it's not the Indians doing it this time around. It would be the Rays, but uh, I'll say Rays in six. Steve, what's your thought? I like Rays in six as well. I thought um, for the year, I thought it was going to be Yankees and Braves. During the playoffs, I said whoever wins the Yankees Rays World Series uh, series would be in the World Series, uh, and I really did believe uh, Tampa was a better team, and they proved to be a better team because they beat the Yankees in five. Uh, so I'm going to go Rays in six, pretty much for the reasons you talked about, uh, and they just have a way of, of looking like they can't win, but somehow winning, and I think Kevin Cash for the most part has done a terrific job, I'll, I'll say. He probably made the right analytic move, for example, in that game, taking out Blake, Smith, Blake Snell after four innings pitched, and then a walk in the ground ball single between third and short. It was the right move. It backfired on him. And I think when you look at analytics from a distance, you have to realize, for example, when the guy throws 100 miles an hour and Carlos Correa singles to right, instead of, and they have three guys on the other side of the infield, to literally make a one nothing deficit into a 2-1 lead and eventually a win, those things happen. The other thing I'll point out, and I'll be interested to see what Ken, the coach, the coach thinks, is I've noticed this year in the old days, Ken, later in the game, maybe six, but certainly seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, if you were up a run or two, you'd stand on the foul line, or you'd be very close to the foul line. I have seen multiple times in these playoffs where late in close games, guys are not only getting doubles down the left, down the third baseline, but even hit down the right field line. And I think yes. because of the analytics, that's kind of gone out of the game, which I still think is a mistake. When I see that late in the game, I'm like, why isn't the guy standing two feet from the foul line? And I think the answer probably is analytics, but I'm not sure. I don't know if anyone's going to reevaluate that <laughs> to see whether or not maybe we should still come closer to the line, even if the analytics say we should be, if you're the third baseman, two feet to his left, maybe he should be two feet to his right. I have noticed that enough to say, well, hold it down. How come they're not protecting the line? But I do like the Rays in six. Uh, I think it's a storybook year. Obviously, Joe Madden never got over the hump in terms of winning. Uh, but I think Kevin Cash has a uh, good chance to do it. And he's really continued, as you talked about, Rick, the uh, Joe Madden way, if you will. Yes. Ken, your thoughts? 
consensus on that and uh again ken detweiler steve callis i can't thank you guys enough for being part of this great 2020 world series preview thank you everybody for tuning in to this mini episode of the fdh lounge